Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 34 with Joe Gallup. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. There's something I would like to mention to you, but I don't want to take any more time to talk about it before we get into Joe Gallup's interview, so be sure you listen all the way to the end for some new information. All right, let's get started. I'm really happy to have Joe Gallup on the line with me today. Joe spent a couple of years with Operation Mobilization and then spent about 15 years as a missionary in Niger and has been now with the Transformational Education Network for about 10 years. He's currently the CEO and is directing the mission and the emphasis for the ministry, and he also recently returned from a trip to Nigeria. Okay, Joe, I've given just a little introduction. Why don't you take a minute and tell us about yourself and the ministry? We'd like to get to know you personally. Yeah, well, uh, the Lord has, has worked in so many ways over the years, and, you know, first moving me from being an engineer to to going out to the Sahara Desert and working among nomads for 15 years in evangelism and church planting. Um, and through the years, uh, we went through uh, evangelism, discipleship, church planting, and by God's grace, we were able to see some churches planted. Uh, and uh, then as we saw churches uh, mature, uh, we started working alongside them in in various ways and began to see um, just how much they cared about education, especially for their kids. And um, at the same time, uh, the Lord was working in, in my family as, uh, as my family was growing older to move me back to the States and uh, made a transition to ministry uh, in education, which was... So so different from um, what I did for many years, but the uh, the Lord has brought it about, and we're able to continue serving our African brothers and sisters uh, through education. Okay, now that we know you a little bit, could you share with us the the couple of scriptures that we talked about before we started recording, and then share with us uh, you know what those meaningful scriptures have really done to shape your behavior and your life? Yeah, well it. It really has to do most more recently since I've gotten involved with the Transformational Education Network. Uh, you know, thinking about uh, this word transformation and 
Um, I don't know, you know, how many of our listeners would be aware of the various ways that transformation is used, but, um, um, you know, in the secular world, it's transformational education usually has to do with kind of taking people who are marginal, either involved in in um, drug addiction or some other sort of marginal lifestyle and moving them more into the mainstream and, and helping them learn to, um, you know, to say to get a job and be able to make a living and, and fit in better. Um, but in Christian circles, there's been a lot of use of this word in various ways and large books written by missiologists and all sorts of things. So the word transformation seems to mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But as um, as I and some of the folks at uh, 10.3 have thought it through, we see the transformation is really a, a word that's used very little in Scripture. And there are really only just a couple of verses that, that uh, speak directly of transformation. Uh, using a, a word that is translated for transma- transformation. And, um, you know, one of the first things is, uh, is in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And um, there, uh, it, um, Paul's talking about um, the change that happens when a person... Uh, turns to the Lord. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so this this verse kind of guides us and directs us because it, it helps us to see that the initial transformation that happens when a person turns to the Lord is uh, it's a sort of unveiling where they begin to see things for the first time um, the way they should see them. And they begin to be you know, for the first time in their life, being transformed into the image of Christ. Um, And that all happens because of the gospel. It happens as God works in somebody's life to um, enable them to see the truth of the gospel, and he draws them, and the gospel is presented to them, and... Mm. Um, then they believe, and this marvelous transformation takes place, and they become a new creature in Christ. That's the first transformation, that it, the biblical use of the word transformation. And so that guides us to be gospel-centered in everything we do. All of our curriculum is gospel-centered. Hmm. We teach teachers in schools to present the gospel. We... we um, Make sure that when we tell the story of the Bible, we tell it um, with a, a focus on the redemptive plan that God has 
had through the ages so that students began to understand creation, fall, and redemption. And and then, you know, hopefully they will be able to see the truth of the gospel and see why Jesus Christ is who he claims to be and, and how they as sinners need to uh, turn to him and believe in him. And so that, you know, that's the first kind of transformation and that, that verse and or those verses in Second Corinthians have been really important ones for me as a sort of a uh, guiding as a CEO of 10.3 and, and helping this organization to be biblically transformational, not just doing everything that anybody might call transformational. Um, then the other one is uh, one that people are, tend to be more familiar with. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this transformation is uh, a transformation uh, that also is greatly affected by the gospel on an ongoing basis in a person's life. But it's, it's affected um, greatly by the whole of Scripture as, as a person begins to understand many, many things um, in the light of God's truth. And so what may have been deeply ingrained through their childhood education or deeply ingrained through their culture or through years of being part of a philosophy or whatever it is, after having been transformed through the acceptance of the gospel, then there's this step-by-step, little-by-little process in which they're transformed more and more by the renewal of their minds as they interact with God's Word, by His Spirit, and He shows us where we're wrong, where we have wrong thinking, where we're doing things wrong, and we repent. And so we, we live out the gospel over and over again, day after day. And um, so that, that initial transformation that I mentioned before in Second Corinthians 3.18 is followed up by an ongoing transformation. And, uh, you know, that I, that's pretty much what the Bible has to say about transformation. And beyond that, it uses other words, sanctification and, and other really good, good words, but it only uses transformation a few times. And what we try to do is we try to focus on those two things. We try to focus on getting making sure that those students that are in our class or in the classes of teachers that are using our program and they're reading our materials, that they hear and understand the gospel and can, can and are also challenged by their teachers to, to, um, to repent and believe. Um, but then on a larger or more ongoing basis, we, we try to uh, get them involved in, in an education that is uh, helps them to frame their way of thinking about everything in life um, in light of the gospel and in light of the of uh, Jesus Christ. 
So, yeah, those are two verses that I would say guide us in our whole approach to education. And and since I've been involved with the Transformational Education Network, I've been uh, foremost in my mind. Oh, good. Now, I'd like to go ahead and uh, continue this theme of transformation. As we were chatting before we started recording, um, we were talking about how... Um, it, it seems like a lot of times, at least in the U.S. or in North America, we kind of have the attitude that if we see a problem in the world that we can either prescribe the answer or perhaps throw a little bit of money at it and that that should somehow fix it. And yet as we look at many of the opportunities that we've had to do that, we don't necessarily see the kind of change that we might expect after throwing a little bit of money at it. And I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about what makes 10.3 unique in this, because I know that you guys see this kind of thing, and you're doing some specific things to to address that. So could you share with us a little bit more about the the issues that you see, and then what you're doing to address those? Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll give you uh, one uh, good example of that. Um, you know... When I lived in Africa and I was working primarily among nomads, but also working pretty closely with church leaders, training up elders and that were not nomads in some other other churches, um, I uh, I saw a lot of problems. I saw I saw hospitals that were run by Christians that were having really difficult times. I saw. Um, agricultural products that, I mean, agricultural projects, excuse me, that, uh, you know, after five or six years of missionary involvement and all the, 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 the pumps stopped working and the, the communities weren't really that interested in keeping them going, uh, and, and didn't, uh, do what we would think would be just common sense cut type things to keep the clean water flowing. Um, all kinds of problems like that. Uh, African institutions suffer um, hospitals, electric companies, um, police forces, judicial systems. They all suffer greatly. And we take this approach of, you know, we're just teach them how to do something and yet we work with people who many many africans who have been through modern western education they have their doctorate degrees they've gone back they've worked and they even find it a huge challenge to make those institutions work in the african environment Um, we work often with people who have their doctorates in education and yet find it so difficult to keep a school running. Um, And so the way we approach those things is um, we we start off with teaching, um, helping our African brothers and sisters to sort of take a, a serious look at themselves and their values. And um, compare those values with what the Bible holds up as values. Mm. Um, 
we see we all in every culture we know the same truths like for example you could um you you, you could talk to african brothers and sisters and go through your doctrinal statement and have pretty much 100% agreement so what you believe is the same but what you value in what you believe in the it is it turns out to be very very different and those values end up causing uh, significant differences in when it comes to the ability particularly to run institutions uh, banks in Africa you know they they suffer uh, a lot because well, I'll give you a, a good example that um, it is hard for banks to lend money in Africa because uh, it's hard to find loan officers that can withstand the pressures of their family hmm. and their tribe to lend to them um, in enterprises that might fail and aren't really worth lending to. Uh, but the value being that they are family, that their tribe and their uh, tribal links that uh, are so highly valued that the institution of the bank it takes a lower uh, place in uh, the value system. And um, one of the things that we do, uh, whether it be with the you know people who are working in an electric company or in a school or in a hospital or whatever, is we help them see that modern institutions um, are not absolutely necessary, uh, especially to be a Christian. Hmm. Um, you can live like my, I have many friends who live under goatskin tents out in the bush. They have no banks, no hospitals, nothing like what we experience, no schools. Um, and uh, they say, um, strangely for us, they would say, uh, they would look out at their cattle or their goats and, um, you know, there's their little goatskin tent and they would say shizara, which means... Uh, basically, it doesn't get any better than this. Hmm. And, you know, they think, a bank? Why would I want to put my money in a bank? A hospital? Why would I ever go to the hospital if I was sick? School? Why would I want to send my kids to a school? Uh, that's the way the, those people think. And, and interestingly, there are Christians, uh, you know, among those people. And... Uh, it's, it's really not necessary to become a modern person uh, to be a Christian. And yet, though, if you choose to take those steps towards modernity and to start those kind of institutions, schools, hospitals, and, and you see the value in those things, you end up having to recognize that there is a whole different value system for those things. And that value system, um, much of it has been has come from the influence of the gospel in Western societies. 
that's you know how those Western institutions came about, mm-hmm. and uh, not that we would promote Western institutions in African society, but and the reality is we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ living in the African environment, doing their best to run institutions, but struggling with a value system that is that goes against them in in so many ways, uh, keeping them from, from running successful institutions. And so what we do is we try to open up the doors of seeing just what kind of values does it take to run a good school. And, um, you know, we it's, it's great when you work with African brothers and sisters and their eyes open up really wide and just see begin to see where some of their problems are coming from and begin to understand the dynamics and say, yeah, that's why we're struggling so hard. That's why it hasn't been working. Hmm. And it, I tell you, for me as a, you know, as a teacher and as a trainer of administrators and, and teachers, uh, there's no better time than when you know, when I see those lights come on and people begin to realize and then realize, hey, there are things that I'm doing that are mitigating against my school working well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that that's, um, I would say, um, you know, one of the key things that that we do and I do. And then we try to, as much as possible, um, incorporate a kind of uh, those kind of questions and thinking into our curriculum as well, so that even at a younger age, um, people begin the people who study the curriculum begin to ask themselves questions about their own values. Yeah. So that <laughs> I hope that kind of answers your question there. I, I think that was great. I think that. Um, you know, as a person who's pondered this from time to time, I don't know that I necessarily have any specific answers, but I do know that when you shared the thing about the different values, that really spoke to me because that I think helps me understand not only myself, but also my interactions with other people, because I do have friends who are from other cultures and I do have friends who are believers and yet from other cultures. And at this, you know, while we're connected in Christ and while we we name Christ and we, we have the human experience, at the same time, it can sometimes feel like we're from different planets. And mm. it's more than just perspective. It's more than just experience. These values, I think, speak to that. Now, you've shared with us the, uh, the challenge that we've seen, that you've seen in Africa, in particular, as you've been working with institutional leaders and that kind of thing. I'd like to shift the focus kind of back to your story now and hear about a time in your journey when you were facing a challenge or a failure and then share with us, you know, share with us that time and then share with us uh, what you did and what God did in that time. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll give you a a real concrete one that just stands out really strongly in my memory. I, I was an engineer and after the Lord led me to missions, I got counsel from my pastor to go to Bible school and and went to uh, Columbia Biblical Seminary, did training in missions and 
read everything you were supposed to read as a new missionary, you know, heading out to the field to do evangelism and church planting, all about the latest church planting strategies and um, contextualization was the big thing back then and, you know, just all sorts of things. Uh, people groups and how, you know, how you to break up the task of reaching the world for Christ and all the missiology of the time. And uh, learned how to learn a language and did all the cultural preparation, everything need to get out on the mission field. And I got out to, to my mission station, the place that, that uh, my family and I were to be serving. And there was a church there um, already in this place. It was called Tawa. And uh, um, I was going to be working out in the bush areas around Tawa among the nomads. And I went to the, the pastor, um, uh, Malambedu is his name, uh, and I I uh, told him about what, you know, why I had come and what the Lord had put on my heart to do and, and uh, how, you know, what the mission had sent me to do and, and particularly to reach the Tamajic nomads with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I was all excited about this, and I thought he would be too. But uh, uh, his response to me was, why would you want to bring apartheid to Niger? <laughs> and you know uh, what a what an eye opener for me. Um, the ethnic focus idea of reaching out to people groups uh, seemed uh, through you know all the missiologies seemed to be. The way to go, you know. Uh, there's all the biblical teaching about the nations and the tri you know, tribes and nations and tongues and ta ethne and all the things you would read about if you read, uh, you know, from the promises of Abraham to through to Revelation about all the nations. Uh, that uh, it's it's a good plan, and yet uh, I found that um, here's a dear brother. In Christ, whom I didn't know well at the time, but I came to know very well over the years and became a, a tremendous, uh, uh, strong relationship uh, as a brother in Christ over those years. Um, but I learned from him that there was a very different perspective on that for many people. And the thought of going to a people group to, to him seemed to be actually separating the ethnic groups the way apartheid would. Anyway, um, you know, how to overcome that? I remember going, you know, talking to my then superior within the mission, um, and uh, his counsel to me was a very simple one. He said, look, uh, you know, just... Don't focus on your agenda, what you've come to do, but just focus on doing whatever you can to build trust. And uh, I thought that was kind of strange advice at the beginning. I mean, obviously, on the surface, you always want to build trust, but 
Um, I didn't really at that time know what all the implications of that were. And uh, it got me on a path of studying about trust and learning what is, what is trust to my African brother. And I learned more and more to take steps, conscious steps, to do things which would um, build a foundation of, of trust. And over the years, um, that served me very, very well. Um, you know, I can say even right to the end, uh, Pastor Beta wasn't that keen on ethnic focus, on the whole idea of ethnic focus, but we came closer and closer because we came to trust each other. Mm-hmm. We understood that down deep, we were, we were both working at the same thing. We weren't, you know, like the miles apart that uh, it seemed at first. And um, through the building of trust, uh, we were able to work together on many, many things, doing evangelism, training up elders, doing many things together. Um, And um, that was uh, uh, something that I've kept and continue to do to this day. When I work with people, I, I work with them on building trust. And I do my best to uh, to make sure that I maintain trust with with uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ that I work with around the world. Okay. Now we'd like to go ahead and move to the other end of the spectrum. We've heard about a challenge, but we know that just as we all have challenges, there are also those times when we have moments of revelation where God maybe parts the skies, it would seem, and kind of impart something to us, or maybe reveals something to us that we've been kind of walking through for a while. Can you share a time, a story of a time in your journey when something like that happened? Take us back there and then share with us what you did to take what God was showing you and run with it. Yeah. Um, there, I'd say there's two things that really um, have made a, a big difference in, in my life, uh, especially in the direction that I've taken towards uh, ministry and education. One is that um, after having worked with, you might say, newly planted churches, uh, churches that uh, were many of them were first-generation Christians, um, and uh, beginning to work with second-generation Christians, um, those whose parents were Christian in a Muslim society. Um, after, you know, coming to trust in Christ themselves, um, uh, they were very different than, than their parents. And uh, one of the things that, that I learned um, as I moved more and more into leadership position as a team leader and later on as a um, an administrator of, um, on our field uh, in Niger, um, dealing with church leaders, pastors, as well as heads of de- denominations, um, <clears throat> was that um, they were, while they were very interested and very involved in evangelism, Bible teaching through Bible colleges and teaching in the churches and, and many other things, 
when it came to how they saw us helping them going forward, uh, we would hear over and over again from them that education was what they felt we could help them the most with. And um, they weren't necessarily talking about Bible education. Um, some of them were well-educated in the Bible because we had established and run Bible schools for decades. Um, but they were much more concerned about the youth in the country having such poor general education. Hmm. Their own children... Uh, going to schools where it was not uncommon to go years into school without really being able to read well. Um, schools that that had, out of five years, two to three years might not even count because the teachers were on strike one year and and when the teachers weren't on strike, the students were on strike, and so the school years were lost. T schools that operated with no books. Um, education system just seemed to be in a shambles, and the Christians were saying, we, we really want your help. And so at first that seemed a little bit strange to me because I thought, you know, people should be interested in reaching out with the gospel to the ends of the earth and getting out there in the unreached areas and all. And it's not that they weren't interested in those things, but when they saw, you might say, the potential that we had to help them, when we said, how can we help you? They said, the best thing you can do is help us with education. And uh, so I took that to heart. And I've been trying since I've come home um, to to really be helpful in that. Um, yeah, and the, the other thing that was kind of revelatory to me was um, <clears throat> before I left Niger, I did a, a sort of an informal survey of a lot of the people that I knew. And for a couple of years, actually, I asked the same questions over and over of people that I met and um, and it primarily had to do with leadership. And I asked the question, you know, what makes a good leader? And it was, it, it was really interesting to me because uh, what I learned was uh, from the African perspective that overwhelmingly um, the answer to the question, what makes a good leader, was... Or, you know, what, what's the characteristic of a good leader? What's the primary characteristic of a good leader? Is that a good leader is someone who takes care of their own. Hmm. And, you know, that's something that Western people understand a little bit. Like if we, if we vote for a governor, we want a governor who's going to take care of his state. We, if we vote for a president, we want the president that's going to take care of his country. You know, we expect a father to take care of his family. So we understand that concept of a good leader as being one who takes care of those whom he's supposed to take care of. But in the African environment, what I found out was that that 
value is so highly elevated that it goes to the extent of a good leader is one who takes care of his own even at the expense of others. Hmm. And um, what I found revelatory about that was that it's a, such a strong value in the African system that the Christian brothers and sisters really struggled with the elevation of that value to the extent that when you become a leader in Africa, you are expected to take care of your family, of your clan, of your village, even at the expense of others. And that is a challenge because there's a conflict there biblically. Yeah. A tremendous conflict. And it's a conflict that most of us, and I didn't really understand, I only came understand it was quite a quite a revelatory thing for me when I heard it expressed many 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 times by Africans that these are the pressures that we live with every day if I'm a manager I am expected to take care of my own that means even if the the resources of the institution that I am a manager of get used for that family Everyone around me, my family, everyone around me will say, I'm a good man. I'm a good leader for having done so. And if I do, and, and conversely, if I don't do that, then I will be considered a poor leader. Wow. That's, that's very powerful. Now, Joe, we've we've actually reached about the end of our time. Uh, are you okay if we ask just maybe a couple more questions before we before we say goodbye? Yeah, sure. Okay, I would like to focus a little bit on the present day for ten three. I'd like to hear a little bit about what's going on in the ministry. Maybe something that's really exciting you right now, or maybe something that you see coming in the future. Yeah, one of the things that's really really exciting to me. Is, um, is the possibility of branching out beyond computer education. Uh, our ministry started, was started by uh, Dr. Anthony Petrillo as he started a small computer training institution. And uh, it, it grew and grew into a school that had over a thousand students at its peak. Um, and uh, was really reaching people, Muslim people coming to Christ, and many, many Christians growing in, in their knowledge of God and His Word through the school because the curriculum that Anthony implemented was a, a Bible-based curriculum that actually required the students to study all the way through the Bible mm-hmm. while they were getting computer education. And that has been the hallmark of what we've been doing for a number of years, and it's, it still is our primary offering. But something that has come up more recently is applying, uh, helping other schools and other teachers, those who are not involved in computer education, 
to become more transformational. The way it's happened is this. Uh, Christy Dasaro, who had, uh, is a Nigerian lady who heads up our ministry in Nigeria, was doing teacher training, training people to be the teachers in the schools that are using the Transformational Education Network's curriculum. Um, and she was getting more and more teachers coming that were really like the training, but we're saying, you know, we're not really computer instructors. We're not. We're we're teachers of various other disciplines. And uh, do you have anything that's more geared towards helping us to become transformational? You know, helping us to to reach people for Christ and disciple and and train and teach a good, solid Christian worldview, those kind of things. And so what we've seen is that there is a tremendous desire uh, among people that are beyond our current focus on computer education that would like to see transformational education happen in their environments and what we've kind of done here real recently in our strategic planning time in Charlotte was to um, to kind of separate out the principles of transformational education that are not necessarily tied to our current curriculum mm. and and to, to clarify what those principles are so that they can then be applied in other environments. And I see tremendous potential there because there are many, many, many Christian schools around Africa that are really not being transformational. And um, it, there's the potential there, a tremendous potential for us to become effective in helping those schools to become more intentional about uh, that both of those types of transformation that I discussed or that we discussed earlier um, and uh, if that happens we'll be seeing many people coming to Christ and many people being built up in their faith wow that's powerful um, I would like to ask do you have one book that you could recommend for our listeners absolutely there's one that I recommend over and over all the time to people. Um, and it is uh, called African Friends and Money Matters by David Morantz. Okay. And before we go, I would like to get one last piece of advice from you and then the best way for someone to connect with you, and then we'll be saying goodbye. Uh, yeah, I would say this. Um, as we seek to glorify the Lord, um, we need to, to stay focused on the gospel. It is so easy to get sidetracked and focused on other things. But that doesn't mean that we don't get involved in the various disciplines um, it means that we have the tough challenge of making those disciplines gospel-centered. That's good. And if someone wanted to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, probably the best way would be to write to me via email 
at ceo at 103.org that's c the letters c e o at t e n then the number 3.org okay thanks so much and for those listening we will have all of the resources that we talked about today along with all of the show notes at engagingmissions.com/joegallop and that's g a l l o p for gallop now, Joe, thank you so much for being with us today. We really do appreciate your time and your generosity. Mm, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of, of uh, being here. And uh, we will just uh, continue to pray that the Lord will use um, you and your listeners for his glory in his kingdom. Wow, I really enjoyed that time with Joe Gallup. It was great to meet him and to connect with him and to hear his story. He shared some amazing stuff, some really incredible stuff, and I really especially appreciate his insight into the African culture. I'm not sure about you, but I've from from time to time wondered about some of the fundamental differences between Western culture and some of the other cultures, and to hear him break that down into such a simple and easy-to-understand way was really great for me. As I mentioned before, you can capture all of the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Gallup or slash 34 is in the number 34. There you'll find the book that he referenced as well as links to any other resources. I did mention before we started the interview that I had something that I wanted to mention. This is actually something that came up last week. As I'm recording this, we're in uh, the, the early part of November 2014, and I'm working on a possible way to get some care packages out to missionaries as a special thing for the holidays. It's something that I'm still working on. It's not completely worked out. But if you're interested in that, if that's something that connects with you at all, and if you'd like to be involved in helping f- make sure that those care packages actually meet the needs and the desires of missionaries, I'd really appreciate it if you'd sign up to be connected with that, you can do that by visiting the show notes page for this episode, which again is engagingmissions.com slash Joe Gallup. And I'll be connecting with you. That's where we'll find out whether or not there are people actually interested in doing this and also make sure that we're meeting the needs of it. Of missionaries, I do know that we have some things that missionaries have been requesting, uh, but I just need to make sure that we're actually meeting the needs of as many missionaries as possible, and also that it's something that you're actually interested in doing. If you have any feedback for me, you can either leave a comment in the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Joe Gallup, or if you'd like to, you can just shoot me an email, and that would go to feedback at engagingmissions.com. One other thing that I mentioned last week that I just want to give another little plug for is MemoryPeel.com. My friends Mike and Nacelle Preby are uh, the creators of Memory Peel, and right now they're working on a special kids' memory section. It's going to be eight peels. These are really cool static clinged technology. It's a way to help you and your children memorize scripture, and I think that it would be great if you just check out MemoryPeel.com, see what they've got going on, and the couple of... uh, packs of peels that they already have available. And if you'd like to sign up, make sure that you connect with their newsletter to find out what's going on with their with the uh, kids pack. One other piece that I'd like to mention, and it would really mean a lot if you could do this, if you would subscribe in iTunes and leave me an honest rating and review, that would really mean a lot. 
You can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. There you'll find a short, probably three and a half to four minute video showing you exactly what you need to know to be able to subscribe and to leave a rating and review. And also it has a link right to this show in iTunes. So it's as few clicks as possible, as easy as possible, and everything that you need to know is right there. Whether this is your first time here or whether you've been a subscriber for a long time, those kinds of things mean a lot. Not only does it help make sure that you don't miss out on any interviews with engaging missionaries like Joe Gallup, but it also helps other people connect with the show because those actually help raise the show's ranking in iTunes. It makes it more likely that people will find us and connect with us. Of course, you can always shoot an email to a friend or let them know about the show personally. That means a lot to people, and I know that those are valued even more than search engine results or anything like that. But these things do help, and I really would appreciate your help getting the word out. Finally, and I just I never can say this enough, I really do appreciate that you're here. It means a lot to me to know that you've taken time out of your day to listen to the show. Whether you're just connected with Joe Gallup and this is your first time stopping by and you're just really happy to hear what's going on in his life, or whether you've been subscribed for some time, it really does mean a lot. Thanks so much. This has been the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.